Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. On which side today, I'm delighted to have Diane Kang, who is the co-founder and CEO of Brandify. Um, she's going to explain what they do in a minute. But first of all, could you share a little bit about your background, Diane? Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on here. I'm really excited and really looking forward to getting this opportunity just to share some experiences and some stories around great consumer experiences and data science. But to give you a little bit of a background of myself, I've always been fairly entrepreneurial growing up. By the time I was 18, I had run just a few different businesses, not necessarily technology, but things I found to be really relevant in understanding profit margins and go-to-market strategies. I ended up studying computer engineering and math and got my first job working as one of the youngest engineers at Apple, working day in, day out to really process consumer behavior. I then got the opportunity to lead Symantec's e-commerce engineering team, where I had to collaborate pretty closely with marketers that didn't necessarily, <clears throat> didn't necessarily come from a traditional background. Uh, for engineering and from both these places, I quickly learned that like marketers really usually aren't data scientists and engineers really preferred working on product instead of integrating marketing tools. So with a lot of these brands, even when there's a big priority for consumer experiences from the leadership down, being able to actually do this at scale was a huge obstacle. And that's what led me to start Brainify today and really focusing on our big vision to democratize data science. Cool. So um, Brainify offers a personalization um, a, a personalization engine, as far as I could see on the website. Um, what, what kind of personalization methodologies do you, do you guys support? Because there's all kinds of personalization and, you know, Gardner has these researches and, and they have the hype cycle, et cetera. And they're talking about personalization, but um, just to make this a little bit more tangible for the audience. What kind of personalization are we talking about today? Yeah, for sure. Um, for us, you're right. We are an, a personalization platform and we really focus on predictive personalization, especially around consumer journeys on your website, your email, your SMS or app. Pretty much think of it as um, brands that are in our kitchen pantry and our bathroom cabinet that we see that are different stages of their personalization journey. And then we come in there to help them connect and collect data across different, um, different tools and platforms they have, optimize that consumer journey, and then enable the predictive and dynamic personalization that is there. Um, but we typically will work with what's called the direct-to-consumer channels that's owned by the brand specifically, but mm -hmm. not on social or ads or chatbots. But pretty much today, if you land on any one of our partner um, customer websites, then the personalization begins right away. Cool. So could you elaborate a little on that personalization journey? Because you, you guys use a like a methodology there and um, you just briefly mentioned it, but for the audience, could you explain a little bit more about the steps that, that uh, retailers take within that journey? Of course, yeah. Um, I think whenever we talk about personalization and whether it's at scale or predictive, Maybe the best way is to kind of start with the basics. 
right? So personalization has to do with finding ways to tailor your consumer experiences based off of the preferences of that visitor. So a good example is knowing that like Diane will go to an alcohol retailer like Bevmo and I usually will purchase red wines and I tend to be a planner. So I'll order it for shipping because I don't mind waiting a few days. Now, taking it into predictive personalization means getting ahead of what that individual person is going to want um, in regarding to the content. And this content could be products, promotions, offers, deals, articles, inspiration articles, anything that really builds the digital experience. And now to make it predictive, it's really about being proactive and getting ahead of what someone's going to want. So knowing that like, although my typical behavior is I purchase red wines for shipping, anytime that there's a three-day weekend, then I tend to purchase Prosecco. And -hmm. if there's any time there's a three-day weekend that's warmer than usual, which in San Francisco is actually just like (laughs) a crisp 75 degrees, very different than everywhere else. Um, But if it happens to be 5% warmer, for example, then I might be interested in purchasing a case of beer for pickup and store. So this anticipation around what a person's behavior will change and then being able to map that to the right content to really create this holistic experience is what our specialty and and methodology is about. And I think on the retailer side, as a business, it's quite hard, I think, to do personalization. I think the concept of it is like, yes, we know we need it, but as a larger retailer, um, it can be quite difficult. Like you have to think about the data that you have that you can work with. You have to think about the best practices of how you want to treat your consumer information. Then you have to actually think about the strategy as well. So that's not you know, a, a super broad segment and something that's not going to be off-putting for your most loyal consumers, as well as your first-time anonymized visitors as well. You can imagine mm-hmm. those two preference points are quite different. So from a methodology, we know that um, for us, where we found really good successes is we really have a more holistic approach, which is based off of metrics, measuring end-to-end results, and then activating personalization in a crawl, walk, run methodology. So starting with something small that might be static on the site, imagine a banner on a website, turning that into a dynamic component, then turning that into a personalized component, and then activating the predictive personalization on there while using the same integration. So those are examples where I think personalization is definitely growing and it's it's important, I think, for both brands and retailers to think about. Love it. So um, I am, I'm just imagining here when marketers are listening to this, the, they typically tend to hear or, or basically only identify the, the end product. Let's say your last date in which everything is personalized uh, Amazon-like style probably. Um, so you're talking about taking those steps, uh, crawl, walk, run. Um, how long does a journey like this typically take for a retailer online? Yeah, so on average, we usually see that the process um, to start personalization, to really get on this personalization journey is quite long. On average for email, it takes about six weeks or so to build a newsletter. And this is consistent across our consumer package good customers, as well as our retail customers. Can you imagine being a marketer there and thinking about whether or not in six weeks, 
that it's going to be humid and whether you're going to need anti-frizz products for your hair. Like that Mm -hmm. is just so far out to be thinking about whether or not there is relevance. Um, And so it's very tough to come up with experiences and and journeys that's really going to be relevant in the moment. So on average, it takes a good amount of time. um, But at the end of the day, I think there's two things you have to think about for personalization. One is when you're executing, are you thinking around what the consumer is going to experience and how they're going to be impacted by it? You know, when you're thinking about personalization, it's not supposed to be in your face. Like this is personalized for you. It's really about having these journeys appear serendipitous. Like you want to feel as seamless and complimentary as possible and really not a forced personalization by the brand to get that right content into the hands of the consumers um, and really focus on what they're going to need in the moment. But secondly, I also think when it comes to working with personalization, a lot of times um, there's a lot of kind of different steps that you have to think about in order to make it come alive. And this is where it adds up the time as you think about how to work with that data set to now make good decisions from it. And mm-hmm. the way we always think about it is the personalization process for an enterprise is also a journey as well. So for your brand, whether you're a consumer packaged good or retailer, you know, there's three things we always say it's really important to keep as a strong foundation. The first part is don't spam, right? Don't overload the consumer. At the end of the day, your best and most loyal consumers will have the most data. And because of that, often with manual type of work to segment and to do personalization that way, then your best customer gets the most amount of communication, which is actually not the most ideal thing. So thinking about that and keeping that in mind um, is something that's quite overlooked, I think, during this process to create a personalization journey. But also the next part is like, really keeping in mind that data is a privilege and it's not a right. So it's important to be able to treat it respectfully and imagine it as if this is data that you're collecting from your own grandparents or your own parents. And like, how would you um, take care of it and showcase that you're using it for good? And then last but not least, I think the brands that are starting to be quicker in their setup of personalization, the execution are groups that keep this mindset of constantly adapting and iterating and improving and then repeating that so that they're really driving results. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, I think without a personalization engine, we've seen execution be from six weeks to an email to six months to web experience um, to even launching different types of um, like ideas and strategy build up to a year. And so you know, trends are changing. You have to be able to kind of get faster and not just react faster, but get ahead of it and be proactive there as well. Cool. So I'm actually intrigued by this this um, personalization because um, I think a lot of marketers, when they go to to conferences like like digital summits, etc., a lot of presentations are on on personalization, but not a lot of marketers are actually using personalization engines on their website or they're using a very basic form of it. Um, One of the things that I'm just curious about is um, when I talk to to marketers, um, they have access to all kinds of tools, especially when you're talking about B2C, um, like online environments, they have like like an e-commerce platform, they have databases with their products, they have data lakes, they have CRM, et cetera. All kinds of data is there. 
Um, so, so where do marketers actually start and set their first steps in personalization? What kind of steps do they take? Is it more about strategy or is it more about technology? Mm, that's a great question. And I'll kind of approach it from two different ways, which is what are marketers doing today? And what we like to kind of train our customers to do, which is, I think, a better way. So today, most marketers like to think about, um, from the data perspective, what is possible. Um, and they like to say, I have access on the retailer side to know that someone added to cart or that they started the checkout process. And thus, I'm going to want to do abandoned cart. So it's a very kind of, I have this, then I can do this approach. <laughs> Where we found really good successes with the mentality of the marketers that we're working with and that have excelled quite quickly to be at the forefront of, of great experiences is when it comes to thinking by goals. So instead of saying, I have add to cart and checkout process, so I'm going to do abandoned cart, the goal is actually, hmm, I seem to be really like missing a lot of sales that are coming in in this last section. So our goal now is to drive conversions. Then given this, you can take a look and say, okay, what data do I need to now be able to drive a good journey? And that approach allows the brand to be more, I think, flexible and not kind of pinpointing them into a hole or like using what's that phrase that a lot of people like to use where you try and take a square peg into a, a circular hole, mm -hmm. right? And you're just trying to make your existing technologies or existing tools work for you. When in reality, how you should be thinking is I have this objective and it's to drive more checkouts or for a CPG, it's to make um, anonymized first-time visitors reachable. And for returning users, it's to get them to two plus content visits or reduce bounds. And given that goal, now you can actually think about the different ways and strategies based off of the components you have on your site to now make good decisions. Now you can also expand that and say, ooh, what if we actually triggered um, a journey where based off of that, you have a preference in some sort of product category. Now you get an email that helps you explore and discover more items in that in that specific category that will add up to the right price point that this individual is likely to convert over. Now you can actually think, I think, more realistically around what consumers are doing versus thinking of campaigns as if this, then this happens. Um, but that's kind of my approach to it. I would say is like, we typically will start with partners that are more in the first part where they're just trying to take their existing vendors and say, okay, what's possible with our current implementation? And we usually have to kind of retrain them a little bit to, to let go some of their past learnings. And the biggest question we always ask them is, why do you think we need to have this goal? And the answer is that they come is once they're able to actually ask that question to themselves, it opens up a lot more flexibility, a lot more creativity on what that strategy should be versus what is possible that only serves maybe 30% of the goals needs. Mm -hmm. So talking about reaching those goals, you, so in order to reach those goals, you, you talked about defining audiences. So these groups of segments or audience, whatever we want to call them within the system. Um, how do companies define these audiences? I, I guess you're using behavioral data, maybe some profile data, et cetera, but um, you must have some, let's say, 
best practices. You might have playbooks or whatsoever to help your customers to find the best audiences. Or like, is there like a matrix or like a like a uh, a methodology to define audiences? Mm, yeah, I think most of our brands usually when they start, and many of the brands today will start with what we call um, pretty basic. Um, profile. So for example, are you a first-time visitor? Are you a returning visitor? Are you a known person or are you an anonymized person? Um, and then for some on the retail side, they may get a little bit more specific, which is, are you a big basket spender? Are you a lower basket spender? Um, or they might have, maybe if they're a little bit more advanced, they might have preferences associated by category. So like Diane has purchased three times in the last year, and they all happen to be red wines um, with two skews that are beers. And so Diane is a wine person, you know, so some statistical way of doing it mm -hmm. is what we call like kind of the place to start. And like most of our enterprise kind of partners all have that in place. We usually would then like to extend that to something that's a little bit more digestible, which is, can we use behavior as part of it? So for example, now can we show you what dynamic profiling is? So Diane in the last three times has purchased wines with two skews that are beer, but actually it was because Diane has only purchased like one skew, but very, very often, right? So now we put into the profile that this person has a repeat um, restocking or replenishing behavior of red wines, but there could be a discoverer profile that has to do with last minute add-ons for beer. So now we extend that profile, but still kind of within the realm of what is, I think, acceptable by the brand. Then the next part we actually put that into is now can we create what we call predictive profiles? Now this is taken into consideration a more holistic approach that says, huh, like Diana is an individual, typically will browse quite a bit of whiskeys, but she only purchases one whiskey a year and is typically on the higher end price. And so this doesn't need to be associated to any sort of promotions or deals. It's really about finding the right flavor profile by region and then by a price range. But the next part is how can we get her to drive her to do more conversions throughout the year to create a habit? So given this, the profile of her is that she actually is really interested in red wines of a specific price point that fall between um, specific regions. And then her fulfillment preference is shipping on these days, but pick up and store on these days. So as you can tell, like the profile starts to build up. And now the audience essential splitting, as you can call it by a lot of kind of the big marketers do as well. Now the splitting is done dynamically. And this allows to have really great content mixed with that person's preference in the moment. And because of that, we're seeing huge lift across all of our customers today. Um, for example, we work with BevMo. And with BevMo, um, which is one of the largest alcohol retailers here in the U.S., mm. when we had started first with them, we gave them a start of like within three days to start personalizing. And last year, they've experienced a year over year of online sales by over 51%. Um, you know, with us alone, they've earned over $125 million in net new sales from the experiences that their marketers don't necessarily have to write rules for. But traditionally, when it comes to understanding the audience and segmentation, it's 
usually a, a fairly manual process that requires that marketer to know how to do the splitting and to create the rules that they have to manage after the fact. Mm-hmm. And by allowing an AI to do it, you're actually doing it at scale. And it's changing essentially the type of hat that the person could be wearing all throughout the, the interactions that they have with the brand. Amazing. I, I love the, the the figures and the results that you're sharing. Um, it's typically what I hear back from marketers that are using personalization um, in their uh, or in their online environment. So the results are typically amazing. The other thing I love about this is the fact that marketers have to use both their data skills and their creativity skills. So they actually, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a demanding task, but it's, it's a very, I think, uh, great task to, to do as a marketer. The, the final question that I have for you uh, b- before we end this interview um, is um, when I'm thinking about marketers that are listening in B2C, um, they typically have that MarTech stack that I just talked about. What kind of MarTech stack do you typically work with? What kind of tools do you hook into? Yeah, so for us, um, I think what you had shared around working with data and the personalization piece is huge. Um, I think most marketers that at least we partner with um, don't necessarily have a data science background, nor do they have like a data science team. And so being able to work with data in a really meaningful, impactful way can be kind of difficult, but it's actually a really common like problem for brands all around the world. And But we are seeing a good shift around the importance of consumer expectations and digital transformations. And so with us, we usually see um, a similar combination of tools as well within our customers. They usually already have on the retailer side, they already have some sort of e-commerce platform or a commerce or a headless commerce platform that helps to manage their product and inventory. And Mm -hmm. so we'll hook into that and reduce the amount of time it takes for integration. Then on their websites, they usually have something like a tag manager of some sort that allows them to inject our script and different than other people's script where it requires the marketer to either be very technical or have a very strong support of IT to code in all of the data kind of tagging. We include that into our script. So it helps to speed up the process. And then on the other side is the content. So the content for retailers tends to be the products and inventory for consumer packaged goods. It tends to be the content that is like articles or um, recipes or how-to articles. And those are the type of available kind of information that we can hook into as well. But they typically already have like a CMS that's put in place or some sort of data asset manager. And so we programmatically hook up into those so our AI can get the same information without requiring the marketer to update in two different places. And then we provide the insights and the journeys that are most common that we recommend for the consumer to go through in order to hit the marketer's goals that they have set. So that part of, I think a good analogy I like to use is data today is quite, I think, simple and quite straightforward to get. And sometimes for a brand, there can be a lot of data, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they know what to do with it. And so they need the the kind of like the way to polish <laughs> in some ways mm-hmm. to be able to get the right kind of combinations of experiences out that's not overbearing, but actually drives results. And so that's where our system comes in. But today we tend to hook into existing kind of like CMSs or commerce clouds. And on the email side, any existing marketing cloud or email service providers 
Um, but we're really there trying to be the brain that helps the marketer make decisions, but not necessarily the delivery vehicle into the, the experience itself. So we we do that programmatically through their existing sites and, and channels. So thank you, Diane. So I'm uh, going to share a link to your LinkedIn profile. So should listeners want to reach out to you, they can always uh, link you on LinkedIn, um, as well as a link to the website, uh, Brainify. Um, and I would like to thank you very much for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast, Diane. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I had a great time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.